Well, 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 hello. 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 I don't know why I always do. I do three well, well, wells. I do three wells and then three hellos. Whatever. Welcome. Welcome to episode 85 of Brews Less Traveled, the podcast exploring the best uncharted beer scenes around the United States. I'm your host, Brian. How's it going? I'm joined this month by my always wonderful co-host, MC. How's it going, MC? Hey, everybody. Um, I'm great. Looking forward to another um, week in a really great beer town. Yeah. Excited. Looking forward to these beers. Yeah, definitely. So we're continuing our way through Fort Collins and the great breweries of Northern Colorado. Today, we're featuring Wiley Roots, located in Greeley, Colorado, founded in 2015. Uh, we're going to be enjoying their, my name is, hi, my name is Chili Lager and Deep Roots Porter. And I'm so excited because we're going to be joined by two awesome guests from Wiley Roots. Um, we're going to be joined by Miranda and Kyle Carbaugh, um, the co-founders of Wiley Roots. How's it going, guys? Uh, thanks for having us on the on the podcast. This is a, a really cool concept, and uh, we're excited to uh, to be a part of it. So, I guess introductions. Uh, I'm Kyle. I uh, started out as a home brewer, and it uh, grew beyond a hobby. And Miranda permitted that to 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 uh, to, to uh, I guess go down the path with uh, with brewing, and uh, she fell in love with beer in the process. So, I'll let you tell tell everyone about your journey. So. Hello, I'm Miranda. Um, I started, you know, the process of just going to different breweries around Colorado with Kyle. And at the time I, I didn't drink beer. So, you know, not only did I fall in love with beer, but just kind of the entrepreneurial journey. Um, but I have a HR background and so mainly do the operations and sales for Wiley Roots. I also just did uh, about well, no, I'm not going to say background necessarily. I did HR for the past three and a half years. So I was like here in another HR person with HR experience in the, in the brewing industry. <laughs> we uh, definitely need that approach. Yeah. Yes. No doubt. Let's, uh, let's get started with our quick sip questions. Fast questions. Fast answers. Both of you feel free to answer both of these, either of these, but both of you answer, one of you answer, however, fast questions we don't really have a plan for these too much um so favorite non wiley roots beer the one in my hand <laughs> modello <laughs> nice uh favorite peak in the rockies Ooh, probably pike's peak long's peak oh both with the rapid fire answers they're wonderful <laughs> um new england ipa or west coast ipa yes new england ipa like Kyle said, the beer in his hand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Wiley Roots uh, does have a big focus on sour beer, uh, spontaneous, wild yeast, bacteria, all that fun stuff. So I ask Cantillon or Dre Fontaine? Oh, Dre Fontaine. Oh, I, I think I'm, I'm going to say Dre Fontaine as well. Okay. Okay. And then our final quick sip question Have either of you ever seen Bigfoot? A UFO? Anything inexplicable? Ooh. I'm going to say no. Mm -mm. Okay. Just shooting stars. That's pretty much the most unexplainable thing. That being said, yeah. <laughs> that being said, uh, I'm not ruling out the existence of either. Same. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I really can't wait for somebody in Colorado to say yes. Like of all places, I feel like somebody's going to say yes to this question. 
in the next couple of weeks, Brian. It's coming for you. Or we're just gonna we're just gonna have to do um, Roswell, New Mexico. As mm. our, we did, we did New Mexico, and I don't think I think yeah. we got yeah. one story. <laughs> um, but anyways, MC. All right. Without further ado, let's get started with this first beer, which Brian already told us is going to be that. Hi, my name is Chili Lager. Um, so we'll get pouring this. Um, would you guys like to tell us about this beer? Anything you want us to know in particular about this beer? Tell us everything about it. Yeah, absolutely. So this beer uh, starts off uh, with our one, one of our base American uh, adjunct lagers. We uh, use about 5% of the grist bill uh, as uh, flaked rice and goes through full lager fermentation um, into, uh, you know, into lagering. We lager this for, uh, for about four weeks. And then we decided that we wanted to try our take on, on uh, kind of a chili infused beer. So we, uh, we actually worked with a local farm to get uh, freshly roasted green chilies. So it was a specific variety um, called Sahuaro. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, kind of like the, the cactus, but I think it's spelled a little bit differently. And uh, basically we we uh, got freshly roasted chilies and dosed about 150 pounds of chilies into seven barrels worth of beer. So yeah. Very cool. I was kind of expecting like a, I guess I was expecting like a, a chili beer. This is more of like a lager with chili. Like I can definitely smell like the sweetness of like the grain and then get like that vegetal bite and a little bit of spice there at the end. It's, it's actually really well balanced for chili beer. I usually take a couple of sips of a chili beer and I'm, and I'm done, but I'm actually really enjoying this. Yeah. You know, we've, we've done a couple of different, uh, different chili beers. Um, a lot of times we'll just use like dried chili powder, but we find that there's a lot of variability, especially even, even with the powder, you know, you try to get as consistent as you can so that the times that you use it, you're, you're dosing and and trying not to light people on fire too much. But what we found is with this specific varietal of chili from batch to batch, year to year, from plant to plant, uh, it has a, a, an incredible uh, knack for consistency of heat um, and consistency of flavor. So it wound up being a, a great chili to use for um, uh, for, the, for this application, if, if you will. And because we really wanted to make sure that the, the base beer was still present. You know, the chilies obviously are a key vital component. If you're going to say, hi, my name is Chili Lager, we want to make sure that it, you know, uh, presents as such. But in the same right, we want to make sure that uh, it doesn't completely overwhelm the, the fact that it's a beer. So. Yeah, like like MC said, these these flavors are so well layered in there. You get that very nice lager character in there, and then that chili comes through on the back end. Comes through really nicely on the aroma too. Is I there a food that you like with it? It seems like it would go really well with food. Yeah, you know, I think it pairs really, really nicely with anything that would also, you know, have chilies in it. Um, just because it's like, all right, here's one presentation of chili. Oh, but then you can you can do food aspects. Um, yeah, I mean, from a beer standpoint, uh, it's been really popular as a michelada. Um, so just enough flavor uh, without having so much heat that it kind of dominates the the flavor profile. But I don't know, like anything really i mean tacos we've had it with tacos and it's been enjoyable yeah yes taco tuesday (laughs) i'm i'm very disappointed i didn't i literally i literally just had tacos like an hour and a half ago (laughs) (laughs) should have should have got into this beer a little earlier so wiley roots as we as we talked about earlier wiley roots was founded in 2013 um a time when craft beer was growing but the market certainly wasn't what it is now um 
Can you talk about the catalyst for starting the brewery and also, you know, some of those early breweries that inspired you to during those travels? Sure. I, I usually take this, uh, this question, but I'm gonna let Miranda take the this time. <laughs> okay. See, what, see if your take's any different than mine. So. Uh, so yes, we opened in 2013, uh, but it was really probably 2009 that, or I guess Christmas of 2008, I gave Kyle a journal that listed all of the breweries with a map. And again, at this point in time, I I did not drink beer. And so I said, okay, well, let's go to all the breweries, which I think at that point there were 80 or a hundred best Christmas present ever. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I'm going to drive you around all these different breweries. And through that process, I mean, we, we didn't even get, get close, uh, but we, we went to a lot of breweries and um, just the the culture and, you know, all of the people that we met and through that process, um, yeah, just beer was, the beer was fantastic. And it was like, how do, how are we going to be a part of this community? So, you know, it's 2009 and coming out of or starting to come out of the financial collapse and you know we're in our 20s trying to get a loan to start this business and that just wasn't a reality so um yeah we li- we lived on one income for four years till we could save enough money to you know have you know 100 of it owned it's still 100 owned by the two of us and so uh in 2013 we found a location uh, we were in denver at the time and Greeley had one other brewery of a town of a hundred thousand people. And it just seemed perfect to kind of go back home. Hence like the roots aspect of our name and Wiley is uh, Kyle's nickname growing up like Wiley Coyote. So yeah, we, we started the brewery. We're in the same location that we've been in, in July, it'll be our 10 year anniversary. So yeah, that, that's kind of like how we got the, the doors open, so to speak. Excellent. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. 10 years is, is certainly a feat for, for any brewery. It's, it's been interesting very much. So, um, you know, you, you mentioned 2013 being, uh, you know, it wasn't like it was the, the new dawn of craft beer, but it certainly isn't, uh, the landscape that it is today. Um, you know, Greeley, uh, is, is a town of about a hundred thousand people. Um, but it's kind of a town of two different cities. There's, you know, uh, kind of like, a, an older, uh, part of town of which we're a part of that's that's very slowly going through these I guess gentrification stages which which is is interesting you know you look at at uh, scenes like uh, the Rhino district in in Denver and 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 many others um, around the United States where it's just this rapid growth in these areas of town that can can often wind up displacing people um, Greeley's had a very concerted effort in not doing that so you know, I think it's been interesting that, uh, you know, we are in an older part of town. We're in a part of town that probably has a little bit lower disposable income, but um, the other side of town uh, is is kind of the different side of that story. So back in 2013, there were literally, uh, there was only one other brewery. And so we, uh, we ended up being number two of the, of the current wave. And uh, it's been very interesting to see the evolution of styles that we brew from, you know, being uh, the second in town to, to now, uh, I think there's eight other breweries. That sounds right. So, um, and to to add to the you know the dynamics of of being in Greeley, Greeley was dry until 1969. So while our state has this really great advanced view and appreciation of craft beer, uh, Greeley was definitely behind. Um, I think 
we had brewed one of the first IPAs, you know, for our local customer base in 2013. And so absolutely, when we first opened, we were coming out with very 90s styles just to appease our, our local customer base. And since then, obviously, it's evolved. But to me, that was really beneficial because we were able to almost have this playground to experiment and try new things. But it wasn't set with all these expectations of, oh, well, I don't like that because all IPAs are all, you know, whatever it means that. So we've been able to be a part of the evolution of the palette of Greeley, which is pretty cool. Yeah. I did see a a question uh, about the, uh, the lack of head retention on the beer. Great question. Uh, That is 110% due to the uh, oils uh, inherent in that chili pepper. Capsaicin itself is actually an oil-based compound uh, that's that's present in all of uh, all peppers. But, you know, anytime you you get uh, any any concentration of that, it it will absolutely kill those uh, foam positive proteins. So Hmm. good question. Yeah, I was wondering that as well. So Brian already mentioned there's, you know, a real appreciation for sour beer in Colorado and particularly old world sours fermented with wild yeast and bacteria, often utilizing like spontaneous fermentation. So where do you, in your opinion, where do you think that appreciation comes from, particularly in Colorado? Uh, that's a great question. Yeah. I think, you know, we've always uh, had access to uh, what I would refer to as better beer, you know, uh, Colorado and in its of, of itself, you know, the state of craft beer, um, as the Colorado Brewers Guild likes to cite itself. You know, we've, we've always had access to all these these different interesting things. But I think really, uh, for me, it goes back to what Peter Buchart did with New Belgium Brewing, you know, way back in, in the early 2000s, late 90, late late 90s, early 2000s with uh, with La Folie. I, I think that that was such a pioneering beer and such a just, you know, looking back on it, such a cool risk to take of trying to bring this uh, old world style, this old world intentionality with beer to, uh, you know, uh, a playground that made sense. I think, I think that's just a, a probably one of the hallmarks of, of why you start to see um, Colorado having this, this gravitational pull towards those styles. Yeah, that's uh, for those that don't know uh, the sour program at New Belgium. People people know New Belgium, you know, for Fat Tire, obviously, and the Voodoo IPA series is is a juggernaut now. I think they have like four of the top ten selling beers in the entire craft beer market. But their sour program is possibly the most prolific sour program in the country. And between Peter and and Lauren and all the people that have shepherded that through the years, I believe they have kept a singular wild yeast culture alive for over 20 years that they originally used on that first few series of beers and um you know since then have released a number of just absolutely stellar and amazing sour beers that uh yeah i definitely was uh thinking about when we we put this question together (laughs) so i'm glad that's what you (laughs) one might say there's a real culture of sour beers (laughs) See what, I, see what I did there? <laughs> I, thought, I thought Brian would like that. That was well done. <laughs> One of my favorite tote bags that I have. Yes, I have a collection of tote bags. One of my favorite tote bags that I have is one that I got at CBC in Denver. It says uh, bacteria. It's the only culture some people have. 
<laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> uh, let's get into our second beer. We have the Deep Roots Robust American Porter. What would you like to uh, tell us about this beer? From a release standpoint, uh, the Deep Roots was one of our was our second beer that we brewed. Think about that. Second or third? Uh, I think it was our third beer. Third. Okay, yeah, so third this beer. was this was part of the first core four, if you will, and seven percent ABV, uh, non-adjuncted, robust, sweet porter. So a lot of counts uh, really seem to enjoy this one because it's just very clean and yeah. I want to say unadulterated, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's got those, uh, you know, strong anchors back to some of, I guess, some of my absolute favorite, favorite beers, you know, just shoots had a Porter back in the like late nineties. That was, uh, you know, absolutely fantastic. But I, I, I found myself drinking a lot of, and, you know, one of the fun things about that beer is, it was the beer that broke our dreams of being the next nano brewery on the scene. We started brewing on a, uh, um, in that 2009 time period, we started brewing on a, uh, a 26 gallon more beer brew sculpture in my, my parents' old horse barn. No way. Uh, we, we were originally planning to launch, uh, professionally with, with that, that system. And, uh, at the same time, we had acquired these seven barrel fermenters from Upslope Brewing Company out of Boulder and had thought, you know, let's just see how much beer we can physically make in a 24 hour period of time. So there we were in the horse barn. It was, uh, my dad and I. Uh, just cranking out batch after batch after batch. And we got to six batches of beer on that 20 gallon more beer sculpture of what would then become Deep Roots uh, Chocolate Porter, Deep Roots Amer uh, Robust American Porter. And it was murderous. I think we wound up with 22 hours uh, and six batches. Oh Oh my God. Not efficient at all. <laughs> I imagine things have gotten a little more efficient since then. Yeah. Yes. 120 <laughs> gallons later. And um yeah, we we uh we definitely took our lumps on on that uh proof of concept and said uh we are going to have to do things a little bit differently if we want to have any kind of scalability and any kind of hope or promise of, of trying to get this going. So then we started going down the Franken brew route, big shout out to Tom Hennessy for uh, being one of the, you know, one of the pioneers, the early pioneers that, uh, you know, shared his knowledge and made the process of, of becoming a professional brewer a little bit more accessible. So. Excellent. You know, Wiley Roots is known for their sours. Um, although we're not drinking any of your showers tonight, um, what processes um, behind those beers have taught you about making things? You know, you were just talking about efficiency, things like that. Um, are there any processes that you've learned about in order to make these porters and lagers that you're making now? Yeah, I mean, uh, when we first started, you know, more of these uh, approachable foundational styles was kind of like our, you know, that that's kind of what we started with and, and making sour beer actually came as a second to that. So we actually took kind of went in the opposite direction that we took this foundation of, of very, I don't want to say pedantic beers, but very straightforward beers and, and applied our, our process and methodology of making those beers to making sour beer, which is, you kind of have to turn a little bit of your brain off and say like, no, bacteria is good. Oh, wild yeast is good. And instead of trying to keep all of those things at bay. 
So we didn't really start making uh, sour beer until I would say 20, late 2015, early 2016. And then uh, it kind of took off from there. It was just, it, it kind of became a, a passion project, if you will. And it, it grew into uh, uh, 170 barrel mixed culture program and yeah. funk your couch. And yeah, uh, we made a beer called funk your couch. It's a um, mixed culture Brett Saison that we uh, fermented with um, a wild capture uh, Brett culture. And uh, that ended up winning a, a, uh, um, gold medal at uh, the Great American Beer Festival in 2017, and then a silver medal uh, at the Great American Beer Festival in uh, 2018. So very cool, very cool. I don't, I don't know if that necessarily answered your question, but I think you know uh, it's it's been this like uh, the cycle of of you know foundational beers that end up going off in this really weird. Uh, uh, I guess esoteric direction. And then uh, we found ourselves kind of coming back around to making beers that are uh, still influenced by that mixed culture program, but maybe are a little bit more uh, like uh, approachable. Um, you know, you don't have to be a, uh, uh, really wading deep in the, in the craft beer pond to, uh, or, or pool, if I guess I should say uh, you don't have to be, you know, an advanced swimmer to, uh, <laughs> to, to get what we're going for in those, uh, uh, more mixed culture esoteric beers. Cool. And is that in like a second, do you have like another location or how do you, how do you manage both of those things at one time? That's a great question. This facility is a quagmire. A, yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> it's a couple different units. Um, our, our tap room, and a couple of our offices, and then most of what we call the backspace, uh, and then the catacombs is where is really our second cold storage. All of that is in unit D, and then unit C is kind of more or less like a totally different building, uh, which is where our brewing equipment and then our clean barrel program is. Yeah. So when we uh, when we first started, we were in that first uh, first area. We were actually brewing in the tap room. Um, which made it really uncomfortable. I think we, we were in about 800 square feet uh, for our, our actual brew house. And in uh, 2014, uh, we took over that that warehouse space that Miranda was talking about that's, that was contiguous. Uh, I say contiguous, but it was divided. And so that's where we put the mixed culture program. And we were able to keep things physically separated and passed work through a wall uh, via piping that, uh, piping and hoses that basically literally went through the wall. We called it the workway, and, uh, we would pass work through the workway <laughs> and push it into our, our barrels and, uh, you know, our mixed culture tanks. And, um, so that way we were able to keep everything separate. We would maintain, uh, you know, two absolutely separate, uh, what we call parts carts. So we didn't have any swapping of gaskets or clamps or fittings or valves or anything like that. So we kept everything completely physically separate. And then, uh, when we, uh, were offered up the space in unit C, as Miranda was talking about where our brew house is now, uh, we jumped at the chance and that was in 2018. So we moved our entire brew house from effectively the tap room over to a completely separate facility. Um, and so now we, uh, we, in, in the event that we, you know, need to brew another batch of, of mixed culture stuff or anything like that, then we basically tote work back and forth. So it's a almost like it was a offsite facility, but not quite. So. And we were still on our, we, we started with a seven barrel system. We were still on our seven barrel system, even when we moved it to this other unit up yeah, until 2018, until 
like a year and a half ago. So that's all right. Uh, spring of 21. Yeah. Wow. Definitely been a series of evolutions and, and different. Uh, <laughs> For sure. Yeah. Uh, different, different fits and starts. So. Yeah, it's always cool. One of my favorite things with with craft beer is how breweries find a way to adapt to their space, whether it be just fitting into an old building in a downtown area that was never intended, built as to be, you know, hold, hold a brewery or, you know, food production facility, let alone a complex facility like a brewery um, and how people just find ways to adapt and, and use the space that's around them and, and, and grow, especially into the, the same community in which they were founded. It's, it's great to see breweries, no pun intended, putting down roots and uh, <laughs> letting them grow in, in one particular neighborhood. Speaking of the brewery and, and the neighborhood it is, I, I do want to ask about this picture that I found on uh, Google. It says it was from you. I, I hear that Colorado gets a lot of sun. I'm, I'm in Pittsburgh. We don't get a lot of sun. So I'm, I'm a jealous hater ass uh, boy. And um, it, how often does it look like this at, at the brewery? Uh, we get Colorado gets 300 days of sunshine a year. So I would say clear skies very consistently. We, we do have pretty magnificent sunsets, but to capture it kind of just like that, I, I would not say it's all the time. Would you say yeah. it would? I, I, I would I would say you can find that probably 70 to 80 percent of the evenings between like May and October. Um, it's pretty, pretty fantastic. And that um, that patio space has definitely been, you know, it's it's, it's been. Trans- yeah, it's beautiful. It's been transformed just as many times as, as uh, the brew house itself. And and, uh, you know, what we are. Yeah, what we've what we've found as passions for what what we define the brewing program as at Wiley Roots. So it was just a couple of uh, patio chairs, and <laughs> then in COVID, uh, when we had to shut down, it turned into a literal drive-through um, where we would have cars kind of yeah. circle through, and uh, we were still legally allowed to sell uh, beer to go, and basically, yeah. The, we would take the orders online and run out the orders. And then uh, when COVID, we were able to reopen, uh, we installed this 5,000 square foot patio with AstroTurf and we added the seawall. Yep. A a throwback to a vacation that Miranda and I were very much inspired by in in 2018, where we visited a bunch of distilleries in Scotland. So people, people talk about the aluminum shortage during COVID and all these other things. Nobody talks about how the patio furniture people like made a killing from the brewery brewery industry. <laughs> oh my goodness. Or the outside heaters. Yeah. Yes. Oh <laughs> yeah. That was a big problem. There was a huge shortage of those for a little while. I remember. Yeah. yeah. We, we gobbled up a lot of those. So um, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that was a popular spot. Yeah. What one of the one of the fun things about uh about the brewery and about where we're located and about how we both kind of grew up. You know, obviously, both of us are are products of uh, the 2008, you know, financial crisis and coming out of that and trying to be as resourceful as we can be. Um, so a lot of our, our patio uh, furniture was built on site. So we, yeah. we actually built it ourselves. So and it kind of it, it kind of shows at this point the war- wood's a bit warped. It was definitely 2020 vintage wood, um, <laughs> not the highest quality out there, but um, certainly some of the most expensive stuff yeah. I've ever bought. So. High value wood. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I do love that question. Are, are you hiring or adopting? <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to the chat. 
currently <laughs> market for adopting, but um... <laughs> yeah, hiring is is one of those things where you know we're we're located in a college town, so we um you know we get a lot of people that are in a very specific stage of their of their uh you know their progression in 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 life. So always uh, one of those things where. You know, we'd love to keep people as long as they as we can, but they're also, uh, you know, doing things like graduating with degrees and going on to their own professional yeah. lives. So, so yeah, keep an eye on on wileyroots.com. Uh, we usually have our job postings posted there. So yeah, we uh, before COVID, we were a team of four or five, and then um, within eight weeks, we were a team of seventeen. So to grow that much as a company that quickly in the middle of a pandemic was absolutely crazy. (laughs) And uh, now we're probably, I'd say nine of us. Um, Most of our staff have moved to full-time. So that's just why we have a few less people is some of our bartenders have been able to move to full-time, which is great for them. Great for us. And yeah, we're a pretty small team. (laughs) HR nightmare. That's honestly, we wouldn't have been able to do any of that if Miranda didn't have her experience in in HR. Um, But it did not come without a whole, whole host of of road bumps. So. And I'm really not just saying this. We really do have an excellent team. Yeah, we do. Yeah. Yeah. As as somebody uh, that worked for a company that experienced a 200% staff growth during COVID and was responsible for the HR. Yeah. I feel for you. And yeah, uh, that, that growth in that short of a time absolutely was, it, it was challenging from an HR standpoint, just from like our processes and training and being a team of less than five, Kyle and I had direct contact with every single person that worked for our company. And then to suddenly jump to 17, there was a, there was a layer there. There was a, there was a different group of people that were, you know, managing other teammates. And so Kyle and I weren't for the first time in our company managing the day-to-day for every single person. And that, that dynamic, it's, it's huge. It's, it's, I think necessary sometimes for growth, but it, it was definitely challenging for sure. Yeah. And I, I think in a lot of situations like that, it's really hard. It's really easy for brewery owners that have been so intimately involved in the brewery for many years to to be hesitant to give up that managerial or, or that decision-making to people. And uh, that's also crucial for growth. And it sounds like that that worked out for you with, with being able to bring more people on full-time and, and sounds like more people have responsibility, more responsibility. And, and that's also crucial to, to growth, especially during trying times like COVID or financial collapse. To have this idea or a vision of what you have and what you want and what you want to be as a company and to try to have this other person that isn't related to you, isn't married to you, didn't start the business to, to give that up, but also encourage that same love and dedication. It's very, very cool when it works well. And I think sometimes it just takes time, but absolutely it's letting, letting go of every single part of the details because otherwise you're going to go crazy. Yeah. Shoot. Just getting on the same page with you and you and I sometimes. And and things in the brewing industry, and especially during COVID, move so fast that you know trying to get on the same page, uh, you know, number one, trying to get on the same page in in the brewing industry, and, and then you know, with the number of things that were changing on on what felt like a daily basis in the middle of COVID was uh, 
yeah, it was it was not fun. I don't want to do that again. I don't think anybody wants to do that again. Uh, yeah, I yeah, no. So we've talked about the beer scene a lot. We've we've talked a little bit about the the beauty of Colorado. Many people know Colorado for many things, but what is one thing that you both wish Colorado was more well known for? Mm, that's a great question. Is it is your question something that's true about Colorado that most people don't know or something I wish Colorado was better at that it's not? I think my intention of the question is the first, but I like the latter interpretation <laughs> as well. I, I'll take the first then. Okay. Um, I think the thing that Colorado should be known for but isn't is... And I think anyone that's visited or or better yet, anyone who's flown to Colorado has experienced this. When you land at DIA, you are not anywhere like you, you could barely see the mountains. Right. So like you're out here on these planes, the amount of, uh, you know, spatial diversity, but also like, you know, uh, I don't know, just diversity in general, like um Colorado's not just all mountains it's 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 got it's it's beauty and it's plains it's got uh you know some really cool stuff obviously ski country and all of that kind of thing um my family has property in Estes Park which is is really fun because it's it's got that close proximity but at the same time you know driving there from Greeley it takes an hour and change to get to but in Greeley we you know we're we're pretty much flatlands um uh we're we're, we're very very much on the edge of the flatlands I should say so Something that's true about Colorado that that isn't necessarily known is just how how diverse that landscape is. That you can be in um, effectively the <laughs> eastern plains in in the morning and then uh, skiing in the afternoon if you really want to. So, I feel like Colorado is definitely I don't want to say the wild wild west, but kind of like it just has this very western adventurous spirit, and I think it incorporates this idea of traveling and adventure and yes, you know, being outdoors, but just the spirit, I think that everyone has that lives in our state. It's just very adventurous. So that's what I would say. I, I, uh, as somebody that's driven uh, from Nebraska into the Northeastern part of Colorado, uh, Kyle, I can 100% confirm the, uh, the flatness and the beautiful plains and, uh, you know, I've also seen the Rocky Mountains and and oh, actually a lot of Colorado. MC, we didn't ask you last week. You you lived in you lived in Fort Collins. What what is something that you wish Colorado was more well known for? Hmm. Yeah, I lived in Fort Collins for a short, short time. Gosh, you know, something I really miss about Colorado or about living in Fort Collins is there was a lot of not only really great beer, there was really great food. Um, I worked at a little taco restaurant called La Luz downtown. And it was like, not Mexican food like I had had before. It was like New Mexico style Mexican food. Um, And that's kind of what this green chili beer made me think of. There was like a green Mm. chili sauce that I had never had until I lived in Fort Collins. And I think that sometimes the beer kind of outshines the other, the other like culinary things going on. So I think, I think people should be more excited about trying restaurants in Colorado as well. Yeah. yeah. I think one of the, the absolute, <clears throat> one of one of my absolute favorite things in that vein is, um, you know, Colorado has, uh, it's a state of, of people that, that generally came from other places. Um, my family's, uh, w- one of a handful that I know of that's been here for, 
for a hundred years. So, um, with that being said, you get all of these culinary influences from all these different places, uh, throughout the country. So like we actually have a, an onsite pizza, pizza truck, if you will, um, who he got his, his start in, in of all places, Florida and the culinary scene, and then came out to Colorado, did some fine dining stuff, but it's some of, and I'm not, I try not to be <laughs> too biased and try to be relatively, uh, uh, relatively neutral in, in my assessment of pizza. Um, but it's some of the best pizza I've ever had. So. Yeah, I, I will go out on a limb. Best best Mexican food I've ever had. And I've had some very good food in Colorado, but I'll never forget the uh, Mexican restaurant that was in uh, the Rhino District that was phenomenal. Oh, nice. Before I, before I went and had a, a boot of lager at Bierstadt. <laughs> um, Miranda, Kyle, thank you both so much for joining us. Anything to plug before we get out of here? Where can people find uh, Wiley Roots Beer? Um, so the best way to find Wiley Roots beer is to go on our website. Uh, we actually have what we called uh, the Wiley Finder. <laughs> Great name, right? He's right there. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it, it's not a locator for me. It's it's actually for the beer. Um, <laughs> but you go We're on to put a put a put an air air tag like one of yeah, those Apple yeah. Air tags in your pocket yeah. and it's just the air tag. Follow <laughs> uh, you. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah, you go on, uh, go online to uh, to our website www.wileyroots.com, and then click on the Wiley Finder. Um, type in your zip code, and you you can find a list of any of our retail partners that we've recently distributed to. Um, that being said, we are always refreshing that, and sometimes uh, we don't get to it as fast as we would like to. So you know, check back, and and that's going to be your best way to find our beer nearest you. As far as events and upcoming happenings at the brewery, obviously social media is going to be the number one place to find us. Uh, Facebook and Instagram, uh, both Wiley Roots Brewing. You can find us occasionally on TikTok where we're making dumb videos, which it's the thing you got to do these days. So (laughs) yeah, I would say uh, those are kind of the, the, the hot spots for us. So wonderful. MC, final thoughts. No notes. No notes. Thanks for thanks for being here uh, and for sharing a couple of really great beers. Thank you all. Absolutely. Thank you guys for having us. Yeah. And thanks again for supplying beers for this episode and for our beer club. Would you like to become a member of the beer club? Not you, Kyle, Miranda. This is this is this is me <laughs> plugging now. Would you like to become a member of the beer club and get great local beers like these shipped to you monthly? Head over to brutavana.com to explore subscription options, and you could uh, partake in next month's beer if you order quickly. Boy, I hope that's true. Sorry to the shipping department if that isn't true. We'll be back next week with another great Colorado brewery. We're featuring uh, Crooked Stave next week. Uh, But until then, uh, stay safe, be kind, and support local breweries. Cheers, everyone. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers.